Thank you for the kind words. I think the mother gave a wonderful secret of keeping stress away or more uh, specifically using stress as the topic suggests for growth. In constant growth we can find freedom from stress. And that secret she gave to Champaklalji in a very small little note, many secrets she has revealed and one of them was Champaklal, smile always, smile at difficulties, smile at, <laughs> you know, when things go fine, smile when things are not right, something like that. It was basically um, to smile always at life. Life mirrors us we, and we mirror life. So sometimes we forget that. So when we are surmounted with challenges and difficulties which seem to crush us down, probably they are mirroring our own inner state. And if we learn to smile, probably Nietzsche will smile back at us and say, all right, uh, I'm not as uh, bad as you believe me to be. But more specifically, it is very interesting that uh, 100 years back, in fact, 125 years back, this seminar comes interestingly on the heels of the 125th anniversary of Swami Vivekananda's famous speech in Chicago in the World Parliament of Religions. And it's interesting that he gave a remedy for the times to come, challenging times to come, even before the times had arrived. So that was his foresight, ability to see things in the future. And as I said, 100 years back, Shubindu said something very similar, both Mother and Shubindu, with regard to the times that are going to come. And much later, the Beatles declared that, you know, the times are changing. Well, uh, if we take that stress is about the change, the ability to cope with the change that happens within and around us, then certainly we can say that the century that we leave behind was, I mean, there's no statistics for it, but I think it was the century when mankind experienced the most unprecedented stress of any kind. And who can deny that if ever there was an evolutionary leap in thought and vision and feeling and understanding and actions of mankind, it was the previous century. Never did the world see such a large-scale destruction on one side, destruction not just physical to gory wars and many other mini-wars, but destruction of values, destruction of cherished ideas, ideals, all the good things that mankind had cherished and built, they collapsed as it were in the previous century, the first half. But never also have we seen a sudden longing, urge, thirst, not just for the old ideals to come back, but something which we had perhaps never even imagined can come in the future. And that's why seen from one side, People often say, and you know, the doctors will often say that stress is the number one killer. It's regarded as the mother of all illnesses. Many illnesses, uh, we all know, are because of the stress. But equally, if we look behind and deep within, as I said, the remedy and the problem, they lie together. And the remedy was given to us before the problem came. What after all was Swami Vivekananda's message 125 years back? He foresaw that an age is coming when many of our uh, 
um, you know, the narrow ideas in which humanity has shut itself, whether it be cult, ideologies, creeds, religions, anything, they are going to come to an end. And if we try to preserve them, we would be demolished, destroyed. He has used the word, you know, destruction. Or there is another possibility of assimilation and growth. So these were the two possibilities, choices being given to mankind. On one side, the possibility of a great destruction. If we cling, cling to all that we have loved and cherished. Or we can open to the new which is coming in and receive it. Receive it with trust. Receive it with joy and confidence of a child, you know. When I look back, sometimes as the childlike state, some of, I'm sure we all have our own incidences. I remember a couple of mine where I jumped into a pool to pick up a ball and I could have drowned in it. But when I jumped, I was happy about it, doing some heroic act. And I don't remember, you know, I was taken out and... Uh, big banyan was put over me just to you know make sure that nothing happened if I look at it now with the adult brain the so called adult mature brain I would feel frightened at the very idea that how could I do this many things another time sleeping and by the side there is a kreth snake very poisonous snake you know behind the village you, you go barefoot to play football and you have these snakes which are around. Now with my mind, if I wouldn't venture into any of these places. Now why could I do it? Because you see, and it's true of everyone. I'm just recounting a couple of incidents in my life. I'm sure there are plenty in everybody's life. It's because when we are a child, we receive the future with trust and confidence. It's unknown. But we welcome it. We believe that growing to be 30 is wonderful. You know, we, we don't know the problems that it may bring. Its life is simply wonderful because everything that is going to come in the future, we receive with trust. But as we grow up or begin to grow up, something begins to enter our heads and we begin to lose this trust in life, natural trust. Children are born with it, this trust. Mother speaks of this, that, you know, when they have an injury, they don't think of tetanus. They think of the next game that I am going to play. That's their concern. But the parents, their thoughts are tetanus. Pus. This is filled. There is a pus filled in the mind. And that pus, you know, begins to <laughs> enter into the child. Why does it happen? It's very interesting that, you know, partly it is because the experience of life, we begin to gather these things. We have heard this incidents. We have heard about that. And they begin to get selectively lost in the mind. And we begin to believe that that alone is true. Whereas there are a number of times, you know, when beautiful things happen, which don't register. Let me give a small example. You know, before the days of flight came in, uh, we used to travel by train and very often you would hear about train robbery. It was a big thing. So, we were all advised that when you travel in the train, you put a lock and even while you are sleeping, be careful, you know. Somebody may still find a way, even drug you, even do this, even do that. This was the advice. But the fact is, if we take sheer statistics, 99% of the times, or perhaps 99.9%, .9%, nothing really happened. 
people were nice they you know welcomed us we shared meal nobody drugged us nobody mixed something in the tea you know we shared a meal without uh, we made friends uh, no facebook and other things but at least you know we shared um, exchange addresses which we you know we may, we have never written uh, a mail after reaching and life was beautiful nothing really happened but those few moments which struck us went deep inside our brain now this is something which uh, you know this is how the mind has developed almost anticipating all kinds of problems difficulties rather than looking at them and and this is because it it has an instinct for self preservation because mind has created this acute sense of me a limited me a limited awareness of what i call as myself children don't have that very naturally almost like a little um, animal or like a plant they are easily identified with the surroundings and the environment that's why they can make friends so easily and um, you know they they don't think that this is me this mind this somebody else's but as we grow as the mind develops it brings in that aspect of narrowing clamping down we begin to identify with certain things as myself and certain things as not myself and there is a fight almost a mock fight because it's not really necessary we can be different i mean to say the least we don't have to change anyone the only persons we can change is ourselves but we want to change we want to change this person that person everyone so what really is this stress it's it's uh, it's once again we are asked to break free from the smallness of our mold and enter into the vastness which unconsciously we felt as a child as a child this sense of vastness is there even though we are small little creatures but we are almost one with everything that is around as children i'm sure many of us would remember taking a walk and observing the flowers the trees the plants the gra- grass but now when we take a walk we are um, hardly notice these things no we we notice the traffic we notice the income tax return which has to be filed <laughs> we, we notice the visa which is going to expire all these things have come into the head we have become shut up into just me and all my issues and my problems and my things basically we become small 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 narrow now stress arises it's it's a reminder that we are not really small it's an embrace of the infinite of the vastness which comes to tease us one way to look at it is it's a teaser oh you think you are this you're much more than this that's how challenges of life come so it's actually a message from the vastness that is around us that's what swami vivekananda gives away assimilate so when we have change around us how do we cope with it see that's why the previous generation and uh, now of course things are better they had to adopt to double two kinds of changes one was external life was changing rapidly and now with all these gadgets and everything you know people even within the ashram setting sometimes get so ruffled after having lived decades of a life dedicated to yoga and genuinely let me tell you it's amazing the way they have lived it's very inspiring but still when they see lot of traffic they get flustered because it's a change which has happened they see people on the mobile you know and one hand on the cycle and one they are thinking oh my god something may happen because the change is at such a rapid pace that it's difficult to cope up with it now instead of learning to use the mobile they start shunning the mobile instead of adapting and assimilating to a way of life they want to fall back 
I mean, all of us, we like to fall back upon something which we are accustomed to, what is called as our comfort zone. And stress comes to bring us out of a comfort zone. There is something more, something beyond, something vaster, something which is infinite. That's one of the things that... Oh, thank you. That's one of the things that Shurabindo, you see the gadgets was reminding that, look, you mentioned about me, uh, please, I'm here. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Stay there. <laughs> so it has become, you know, maybe you can uh, keep it away and just remember to give it to me or switch it off, whatever, if you know how to switch it off. So these are the things which are going to come as challenges of life. And, and another thing which Shubhendu said, there is a subconscious yoga going on in nature. Uh, can I do it? Can, can I do it? Switch it off? I'll do it. Modern thing is because of yours. Okay, it's not mine. Thank God. So, okay, fine. That's why it continued to buzz. See, challenges while you are, you know. And you see, how we are trying to cope up with these changes which are coming in and uh, some of us try to fall back into the narrow ways, into the old ways, the, the tradition, because it's a comfort zone. Whereas others try to take the challenge and step out. And when we step out, we see there is a vastness waiting for us. At every level, a vastness. Let's take simple examples. Two kinds of stresses which people experience. One is, you know, during work, because we are all working uh, sometime or the other, whether for livelihood of us or something else, etc., and the second is relationship. When we come back, we have people around, we have people to talk to, people with whom we are engaged. These are the two common things that activities in which, with which most human beings are engaged in. And the third activity with which we are engaged in, uh, though rarely so is with ourselves. You know, that's a wonderful activity, but we hardly, we are very scared of it. So we want to run away from that. Let's take these three exam examples and see how we can take it as an evolutionary step or we can fall back into the old way. Now, when we go for work, most of us go as me and others. I am working. I must get my pay. I must get my promotion. I must get this. And all the time, it's me, me, me. Now, if we just change the perspective, it's not me. You know, Shurabindu puts it very beautifully. He says, one of the cardinal defects of mankind is that we put the ego self as the center and expect everything to revolve around it, including God. You know, God is like a genie in the bottle. We ask and he must grant. And if he doesn't grant, he is, neither go he is not God. You know, this is our uh, crude uh, way of looking at life. That if I have prayed for once and it was not granted, then well, God doesn't exist. But instead of that, what we have to do is to find our place in the totality of things. Now, that is a challenging task. We may not be, you know, suited for this work or that work, but if we find the work we are suited for, we are built for, it may be the smallest of things. You know, someone rightly said that, if, I mean, if there is one of Shiovindo's aphorism, that if one cannot be a king, you know, one can either be a king or be a very good shoemaker. What's wrong with it? Remember one small little anecdote of Abraham Lincoln that you know in, he, his father was a shoemaker and when he came to the parliament someone pointed out remember you know don't forget your origins so he said yes I remember I remember very proudly my origins I know my father was a shoemaker and I am proud of it because none of the shoes that he ever made came back for repair 
and i also know a little bit of this um, craft thanks to my father i also i also learned a little bit of that uh, finish has gone into my blood also and therefore men if any of you have a problem with your shoes i'll be happy to deceive it and try my best now there's something wonderful you turn you flip the same thing on the other side and you see the smiling face on one side it's stress on the other side is the smiling face teasing us to widen out to expand so when we do this jo- job not as a job which will give us something but simply as a work a place that i must occupy in the totality of things i am not the center i need not be the center i am just there and you know that famous um, poem of uh, i think it is milton where he says they to serve who stand and wait he says what can i bring to you o lord i can only bring the talent of death you know talent is that currency at that time he says i can bring you only death so i don't have big things to bring you so will you still honor my coming and he says that he gets a reply that he doesn't care what you do or what you don't do whether it's a great work or small work they do sir who wait and stand so this is the beauty of life that we all have our places and we just got to find it now why don't we find it we get very attached to something externally and that's where i feel that the original impulse to blossom beautifully and spontaneously is distorted by something that comes in and that is other than the ego it's called desire self it distorts because before instead of finding my place i begin to ask what i am going to get well the joy of work is the joy of work that's it you know there is a nice tagline with the new apple phone which is coming if you don't have an uh, iphone if you don't have an iphone well you don't have an iphone that's it as simple as that <laughs> so <laughs> i am going to use it in this way if you don't have the joy of work well you don't have the joy of work you may have everything else so it doesn't matter now how to have the joy of work it should be a work which is we are meant to do maybe something small or big in people's eye it doesn't matter see how ambition and desire distorts the natural joy which is the first reward of work then there are ideologies which will fill into our heads that no no work is meant for uh, you know for your stomach needs for your or other ideologies will say work is meant for satisfying your greed two poles of the same uh, folly and two poles of the same ignorance on one side a society which says that work is meant for a roof over your head a dress to wear and to satisfy your belly's hunger and another ideology which says work is meant for satisfying your ambition and greed two sides of the same coin well that's why they fight with each other well work is not meant for any of these things work is for the joy of work if i don't get it i may get everything else and yet that thing is missing you see uh, very often people say that i did so much what did i get well uh, god's reward is instantaneous if we have done things with the right attitude and done the right thing we get joy in the heart and a peaceful sleep on the pillow and we have a normal natural hunger and that i think is one of the biggest rewards all the same so in work we can do it for the sake of the ego or we can take this work as a challenge which is meant to evolve so what happens in work how do we adapt to the challenges that come say there are people 
and we have to you know there are differences of opinion and mother gives such wonderful ways she says try to find out the common meeting point any debate and discussion there are some time and for that we have to go behind the words one of the biggest problems of mankind is that when we uh, enter into a discussion or a debate we we don't go into the spirit of things we fight with words as lances to hurt others you know sometimes i feel we use words like spears we throw it on to the other and say ah got a good jab so the other fellow takes it out and says ah i am going to give you another that's not a debate or discussion it, it makes no meaning we are just hurting each other but we can use it effectively by using word as a bridge to try to go behind what is it really what is that state of consciousness maybe the person is just anguished that's it he just ventilating he doesn't really want to have a discussion you know how mothers when they deal with children sometimes you know a child is very irritable and angry and nothing is wonderful and good mothers are listening to it at the end this serve a good meal something that the child likes it and they put it before the child and say you know what you are hungry had this experience isn't it you know what you are hungry nothing else and the child <laughs> eats it and suddenly strangely the whole anger vanishes how does she do it she knows that it's not about the words it's not about his irritation and anger is something else which is behind it just being passed on to this person or that person it could be any person there is nothing personal about it it's simply a state of anger so when we start looking at life this way our dealing will change that's the basis of compassion when somebody is angry with us very irritable very caustic so you know instead of feeling oh you dare say such things to me we can feel oh my god he must be so troubled inside so much full of venom hate poor fellow he is worth pitying and then pity of course is a human reaction instead of pitying we can bring in kindness we can bring in compassion and this highest compassion can even as shubhendra says go to the point where it can free the person of the bodily cage but that's big. <laughs> Uh, you know as in the geeta when shri krishna tells him that you know even in the war you must have compassion fight with compassion that means don't hate the person yes this quality his soul is suffering in the trap of this body continuously doing all kinds of deeds what i mean is that we are not talking of a compassion which cannot engage in uh, certain activities and can only do certain things like it's not about feeding the poor and giving blankets that's not compassion probably a more compassionate thing is to empower people you see there are two ways of dealing with these situation when people come and uh, share their stressful woes and wheels so what do we do uh, one way is that we uh, just give them what they are missing in their life that's not a good way because it popularizes their energy very often philanthropists have done a lot of harm unwittingly probably unknowingly but more often driven by the sense of the self ego there is another way where you can empower the person you can empower with knowledge you can empower with uh, showing the larger picture you can empower by reminding them of the strength within you know when somebody went to the mother and said mother i want to live this ideal it's a wonderful thing nobody in my family understands me 
So she says, why do you want them to understand you? See, just flip the question. Why do we want people to understand us? So she says, okay, then I'll be alone, but how do I find the strength to do this? Because I want my family to be with me, to support me in my venture. Mother says, the strength is within you. You see, why do we want people to understand, to support us, when we can go with all the strength in our hearts and when we walk those who have to join they will join and those who are not meant to join do not join how does it matter so there are number of things in our dealings with life where we can either become more and more narrow or we can become wider and wider in wideness and assimilating it's not just wideness of the waste paper basket but assimilating and this assimilation cannot occur on the surface. I cannot say that, okay, in the evening I am going for a rock concert uh, or, or, you know, and in the morning I am going for meditation. I am a very wide person. That will be creating a very strange kind of khichdi inside. But to understand that behind the rock concert, there is the same anguish and the cry. You know, when somebody says the times are changing and we want no education, it's the same cry to understand it and to not treat this group as an outcast just because they don't say Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. Well, they actually started saying Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. (laughs) But that's not the issue. We don't have to say the same things in the same way. You know, people often ask, is something which I appreciate about uh, the ashram school, among the many things. People think that, oh, it's an ashram school, so morning children must be starting the day with a mantra as in a gurukul. (laughs) Well, they don't have mantra. Early morning, nobody, you know, they, they have Sanskrit in which they do learn some mantras. But it's not that morning they start with a mantra and end the day with a mantra. We don't have to do that. There are different ways we can make connection. So this is the age towards which we are moving. And the more we understand it, thus the sooner we understand it, the better for us. Similarly with our relationship. See, when we go back, why, why there are issues in relationship? Because we have again narrowed down, become very rigid, we have set ourselves in fixed boundaries. Take 100 years back, maybe even 50 years back, everywhere in the world, it's not just India-centric. Women had a certain role and men had certain other roles. So, now, you know, when times began to change, it caused a lot of stress. Now, men don't like to, you know, enter the kitchen. And they don't like women to move out. And there are societies which are still resisting it. And Swami Vivekananda said 125 years back that it will be destroyed because it cannot. The time spirit will not allow this. This kind of a rigidity in which mankind wants to shut itself. But the other thing is that what's wrong? I can also cook. Okay, both of us are working. It's fine. Let me try my hand. Now people who do it, they discover a greater love inside. And life becomes so much more happier and more beautiful. Whereas the other approach is when we, you know, uh, shut ourselves in narrowness, in our relationship, same thing. Why should always be, if there should be a fixed role, like child bringing up, well, both can engage in it. How beautifully the mother in one of the things she said, why, why do you have to think you are a boy and you are a girl? Why can't you stop thinking that and just be, you know, we are all souls which are uh, moving on that great journey and then relationships can become beautiful. Take another instance, relationship which 
get confined to an institution, whether it be an institution of marriage or something else. It's a very limited relationship. Nature will not accept it in the long run. They have to be based on freedom. No law can decide my relationship with another person. Today's children are not going to accept it and thankfully they won't. Because it's an age of truth. It, it's a limitation. The love in my heart decides a relationship. Because that is the truth behind relationship. The truth is not a legal stamp paper on which, you know, two people have gone and signed. The truth is not in the priest and the event and the happenings and the photographs. That's not the truth. The truth is love in my heart. If there is love, there is relationship and the joy of it. If there is no love, relationship is just nothing but a burden we are dragging, putting on our shoulders. So, today we see this kind of a challenge. On one side, there are those who want to fall back into the past and want to strongly preserve, thinking that they are being threatened. But there are others who are ready to change and adapt and remold their life, keeping the essence intact, but changing the form. Because the essence of relationship is love, just as the essence of work is joy. So the essence of relationship is love. The essence of dealing with things around is beauty. These are the essential things. And if they are not there, the essence of studies is knowledge. It doesn't matter whether we study in a school, get 99.9% or we get a good job. It's not the essence of studies. The essence is knowledge. Any which way we get knowledge. You know, knowledge is not uh, a slave of classroom. So we see all these things are breaking down. Children don't want to go to classrooms. They don't want to go to schools. They are sick and tired. And maybe after 50 years, there would be no schools. They will become redundant because everything, information is available on the internet. So probably when a teacher goes to teach from the classical textbook, <laughs> the student will say, Sir, isse jada to mujhe pata hai Google se. Or he will sit there and just type out and say, Well, you know, all this I know. So education will become more insight-oriented, not information-oriented. And insight can arise anywhere. And sometimes, you know, in a much more simple and direct way, it's not the slave of... In fact, external studies can sometimes limit our ability to have insight. There was once a debate going on in a gathering of learned professors, whether transformation and coming of Superman, envisaged by Shurabindo, uh, can be or cannot be. So all the learned people were giving their opinions, viewpoints and statistics and data. So after all this was over and the guest began to leave, so one of the persons who spoke you know, strongly in favor of, yes, it's going to be, and quoted Sherbindo from here and there. So there was a man who was the, actually the, uh, who had to lock the doors, you know, he's the last to leave. So he said, sir, something so simple and clear, why was so much discussion happening? What is so clear? Yeah, of course, transformation will be. How do you know? You're an illiterate man. I see it every day happening in the, in my lotus pond, there is so much of, you know, mud and mire and I see beautiful lotuses coming up to it. This is called insight. This is the essence of education. So, but we get stuck to the forms. One place Shubhinda says in synthesis, I think the very first page, to be perpetually reborn is the condition of immortality. 
to be reborn to new things new knowledge not just new information new ways of knowledge new kind of love new quality of love when we are faced with a challenge somebody hurts us so the old kind of love is oh he has hurt me okay my response is hatred the other is oh he has hurt me poor fellow how much he must be suffering no, obviously somebody who hurts you is not happy inside so let me send the healing balm of love and peace it widens us actually this is engaging in yoga without using this term in raj yoga there is a method called as substitution it's one of the basic practices that raj yogis engage in in those yamas and niyamas you basically um, the mind is accustomed to give a certain kind of response to an event now the mind is trained to give an response which is opposite this is one of the things mother spoke of you know when she was asked how to cure evil and ugliness she said instead of seeing that see beauty now people ask but how will it cure because you know evil and ugliness will be there she said yes but you will start eliminating it because you will you know it will get no more importance from you so even if a consciousness stops giving it importance so this is a simple thing that when two people are together start looking at each other's beautiful side and everybody has sometimes a small little thing small little act so instead of dealing with the negative side or the dark side to grow in beauty to grow in light to grow in love so these are some of the ways by which we can grow in our relationship in our joy of life in in the beauty of creation it's there hidden behind the mask of appearances so this is one way another way which is very interesting and there i bring in you know shobindo's original vedanta vedanta is about what essentially it's one that there is one reality behind all things which means everything can be reconnected to the one and it's a one of the most beautiful things ever revealed to mankind sounds very simple but has profound implications there are no two there are no others so we have different people coming in a life with different kinds of states conditions and uh, experiences of life situations circumstances so what does vedanta say see behind all these things the one it's the power of one not as different things not as separate objects not as separate situations but simply the one the simple practice ishupanishad gives a beautiful meditation about it he who sees the one self in all things and when mother was asked you know she saw a film on prahlad where prahlad is only one thing he knows about his life he just knows hari 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 the lord 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 so there is his father who is most annoyed with this hari he says maybe there is hari but i am the super hari the ego always feels it is great i am the real one and he says dad i love you you are a nice guy and you know i respect you <laughs> i know you have done phd in harvard university but you know hari is hari so he gets very annoyed and as his thing builds up he ends up you know trying all ways and means to kill him and he has survives every time simply because he sees behind everything hari <laughs> so mother when she saw the film she was asked this 
Is it really possible? She says, yes. If you see the one behind everything, you are automatically protected. She gave us the key to... What, see, what really is supramental experience? If we leave aside the words behind it. It is to rediscover the one in the joy of multiplicity. Not just the one without the multiplicity, which is the Satchidanand. But the joy of the one in multiplicity, in all our multiple dealings with life, with people, with objects, with creation, with work, here, there, everywhere, in life or in death or beyond life and death. When we discover the one, we are sure that we are into the supramental experience. Did not Shurabindu give us that beautiful, you know, example of the jail? See, two contrasting examples. There is a saint who has gone to jail. Saint is, sorry, shouldn't use this word. But at least two so-called revered saints who went to jail. Recently they were asked. One fellow is only remembering his heartthrob and is miserable. I don't need to take the names. I am sure people are updated with the news. The second one, when he was recently asked, that uh, you, you are a saint, how do you feel in the jail? He said, what saint? I have become a donkey. These are two examples. But look at the example of Shurabindu. He also went to jail. But what does he discover? The one divine everywhere. Vasudevam Sarvamiti Samahatma Chadurlava. This is the difference. And I really feel that these challenging opportunities come to us to rediscover, redefine ourselves. Before going, look at Shirobindo, before going to jail and after coming out from jail. Before going to jail also he is extraordinary. He is a great revolutionary, an erudite professor, a learned person, a, you know, wonderful human being, full of love and compassion in his heart. But still a human being of a great capacity with even some yogic experience. Look at Shirobindo coming out of the Alipur jail. He is the, you know, Wayfarer on the pathless infinite, the soul adventurer into the supramental world. Because he has seen the one. When mother was asked that what was the nature of his experience in the jail, the mother said it was supramental experience. Oneness. So then the disciple says, supramental? Mother says, yes. He called it Narayana because he came from a certain tradition. But it is the supramental experience. To see oneness in all things. Oneness of forces. And then life becomes so interesting, so fascinating. Everything, the fight becomes nothing but a play of forces. Hurling themselves into each other. It's, it's not no more that they are crushing me. You know when Shubindo's one of the poems, there are some poems of Shubindo which I feel if one is very depressed or distressed or on the deathbed even. If you read it, you will come alive. I mean, I have this faith. <laughs> At least once in my life, I had the experience of being totally dehydrated with diarrhea, vomiting and lying on the bed with drips. And somebody asking me, what uh, shall I, can I help you? I said, yes, please read Baji Prabhu to me. And by the time he finished, I was all charged and energized. What is death? So beautifully, you know, when this man is alone with just 20 persons or 50 persons holding guard, of a post against some 20,000 army. And his uh, general tells him that, look, you know, I know that when I come back with Shivaji, you will be dead. I will give you a nice funeral. 
So this uh, Baji says, you will give me funeral? Do you even know who I am? I am not this 5 foot 7 inches fellow. You can't have a fire which can give me a funeral. Don't worry, it's a joy, holiday of a fight. I'll go there and wait for you to come. Then a hero will receive a hero in his arms. Look at the perspective. Here is a man about to die, no sure death. And then he describes that fight and how all Bhavani comes over him. It's amazing. You know, this is one of those poems which how we can really go beyond our limited way of looking at life. He sees even behind death an opportunity for the soul to progress. Behind danger an experiment, an eager and young experiment. Behind rapidity of change, a call and cry to expand and widen. And this I think is the uh, basic message that stress brings us. You know when, I'll stop with one story, go on, this subject is so wonderful, then we can have questions. Uh, there is a story in Ramayana of Hanuman who has to leap across the ocean and he has to go and meet, uh, uh, he has to go and find out where is uh, Sita Mata. So as he is going to cross the ocean, initially of course he is not sure whether he can do it. So he says, I can't do it. I am a poor monkey. So Jambuan comes and tells him, you are not a poor monkey. You are the chosen one for this work. And if you are chosen for this work, you have all the strength inside. So first thing is that remembrance, who we are. We are not just a limited being. And if God has given us a work, he will give us the strength to do it and the knowledge to do it. Then when he is going, the gods doubt whether he can really do it. So they assume the form of a uh, Rakshasi, Sursa. So she comes to test whether Hanuman is really, uh, he is strong, but is he wise enough to do the work? So she comes and stops his way. So look at the conversation which takes place. Hanuman is a strong fellow. Huh? He can, he could have picked up his Gada and just finished, but he is not a blind, merciless killer. He is full of compassion. So first he says, Mother Sursa, please give me way. <laughs> he addresses this hideous form as Mother. Thou to our Mother. Because you know, in, in Indian tradition, even Kali is Mother. You say, Mother, please give me way. says, how can I give you way? I want to eat you up. So now Hanuman is given the, the boon that whatever he says, will be true. So he says very cryptically, Okay, in that case, may you not eat me. It's in Hindi, it's very nice. The fit to mujhe kha na le. You don't eat me. It is conveyed, but in a way that she gets it that, you know, yes, I can eat you. So she opens her mouth, come inside. So as she opens, she becomes vaster and vaster and vaster. And when she has opened her mouth really huge, it becomes very small, enters the mouth and comes out. She says, look, I went, you didn't eat me. You're, because before she can close this big mouth, he has already gone inside and come out. It's an amazing story. He is not bound to this rigid form or that. He's, he knows sometimes humility is the best way to conquer an obstacle. At other times, going past it, becoming vaster and vaster. Mother gave it in a very simple way, become like a river. 
so what does the river have to remember two things the source from where it comes and the goal towards which it is going all the rest is inconsequential if a mountain comes it will either go past the mountain drown the mountain or cut through the mountain if a boulder comes it'll carry it along it'll not forget where it has to go it's drawn by that impulsion from its source and towards the goal i think if we can remember that i think much of our what we call as stress will become nothing but the vastness of the divine embrace this few lines from savitri plenty of lines which you know now they are beginning to come one of them is i said the original vedanta to remember this one behind everything one who has shaped this world is ever its lord our errors are his steps upon the way so when we make mistakes when we fall when we fail it's part of the journey our errors are his steps upon the way he works through the fierce vicissitudes of our lives he works through the hard breath of battle and toil he works through our sins our sorrows and our tears his knowledge overrules our nescience we are limited but there is a divine infinity around us and if we learn to tune into that then his knowledge overrules our nescience so what we should do whatever the appearance we must bear whatever our strong ills and present fate when nothing we can do but drift and bail a mighty guidance leads us still through all this guidance is inbuilt in life we don't have to go outside to look for guidance it's inbuilt it's in the software programming of creation look at the uh, hazard of creation the first moment when that nebula scattered into billions of pieces and now they become a necklace in the sky look at that tiny seed it doesn't know its fortune and it grows into a mighty tree or a little flower it's inbuilt it's not that it has to learn from someone how do i grow into a rose we are all the time worried oh i must find this guru that guru this mantra all that we need to do is just have trust that there is a divine guidance in life. what the animal does unconsciously we have to do consciously and surrender to that what does the seed do surrenders to the process sometimes there is waste sometimes there is darkness but it trusts that there is light it cannot see and though therefore it keeps growing keeps growing and blossoming we are quick to lose our trust and therefore we despair so whatever the present appearance his knowledge overrules our ignorance nescience and then he says after we have served this great divided world god's bliss and oneness are our inborn right so what is the key service not satisfaction of the ego that's the wrong attitude that we get in as we grow just to serve serve this great divided world not making distinctions then god's bliss and oneness are our inborn right another wonderful way to tackle difficulties so this is growing vast by remembering the one another simple way when we face with challenges and we feel we are so limited we need to connect ourselves with the infinite so what is the way one way is a prayer 
a master act, a king idea, can link man's strength to a transcendent force, then miracle is made the common role. One mighty deed can change the course of things. A lonely thought becomes omnipotent. Lonely thought. Imagine this thought. God alone is. All else is appearance. God alone is. There is nothing else but the divine. One, this lonely thought, if we allow it, not like this, oh my God, I have read it in Ishupanishad, Mantra, Ishavashyamidam Sarvam, but this is real life, practical life. I am surrounded by terrorists and dangers. How do I tackle it? I wish I had learnt the gun or had some connection with the collector here. No. Just one mantra, a lonely thought. Then it becomes powerful. We have to live it our life. Then it has the capacity. We have the hotline, we don't connect with it. So many things. Another one where he says, O force compelled, fate driven, earth born race. O petty adventurers in an infinite world. How long shall you tread the circling tracks of mind around your little self and petty things? Out of the immortal substance you were made, your actions can be swift, revealing steps. Your life a changeful mold for growing gods. So again, plasticity, changeful mold for growing gods. And finally, where Shivindo actually speaks of stress as an evolutionary power. All the time there is a stress we face because of life's call towards a greater adventure. And all the time we want to fall back into our comfort zone. This is the tragedy of life. We don't take the challenge. Shubhinder says the wager of death and the wager of change. We have to accept the wager of death if we take the change. So the, the lines are, heaven's call is rare, rarer the heart that heats. Only in an uplifting hour of stress, men answer to the call of greater things. The doors of light are sealed to human mind. This is our tragedy and irony. This lie, or if raised by some strong hand to breathe heaven air, they slide back to the mud from which they came, the mud from which they are built, whose law they know, and joy in safe return to a friendly base. Though something in them weeps for greatness murdered and glory lost, yet to be the common lot they think is best. So I think stress is a challenge behind its mask and face. There is none else but the one divine. This is the secret. So uh, if any, any sharing, any responses, questions, reactions, additions, subtractions. <laughs> I think so we can just meditate on these lines of Savitri and... Say it was. Thank you so much.